Hey everyone, and welcome to Refinery Life Australia. If you're on the Gold Coast, why don't you come and join us as we meet together and we share in the word of our Lord. We meet at 9.30 on Sundays at 23 T.E. Peters Drive, Broadbeach, and we'd love to see you there. We're a friendly church, we're a small church, but we're a friendly church, and we, we just love seeing people blessed in the word. Join me in the Lord's Prayer before we go any further. This is how the disciples were taught to pray when they asked Jesus how they should. And he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Such a simple prayer that we can all declare over our lives. We can all pray each and every day. You know, the Old Testament prophets were primarily foretellers rather than foretellers. They communicated the message of God to the needs of the day. And listen to the major messages of the minor prophets is the title of the series we're working through. We started a few weeks ago and we've, we've got a few more weeks to go. And today we're talking about Amos, the prophet of Tekoa. Now we've got to really start to understand how the Old Testament prophets operated and what they were saying because what we see as prophecy these days is a lot of soothsaying. It's a lot of fortune telling. It's not actual prophecy. And the word tells us that we're all called to prophesy. But that doesn't mean that we're all prophets. The office of prophet is totally different to everyone being able to prophesy. So the text we're concentrating on today is Amos 1-2. says, And he said, The lion roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. In the scripture, then we can also look at Amos 5, verse 24. It says, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. You might pick it here, but Amos comes with a lot of warnings. He wasn't your fluffy prophet that brings nice words to everyone. The scriptures we're going to work through are Amos 5, verses 14 through to 24. Let's read them together. It's 10 verses. Some people will say that's too much, but let's read them together. Verse 14 says, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Verse 15, Hate evil, love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And it talks about the day of the Lord from verse 16 on. Therefore the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be wailing in all the streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas! They shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you! Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. What he's saying here, we'll just press pause for a moment. What he's saying here is 
Be careful. If you're, you're wishing for the day of the Lord to come quickly, are you ready? Because it might be darkness and not light for you when he does come back. Let's keep going. Verse 19. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate and despise your feast days and I do not savour your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. He's telling us, be careful what you're praying for. Be careful what you're wishing for. Get yourself right with the Lord. Amos was a disturbing man. He wasn't the type of prophet many churches would be inviting into the church to prophesy over the people, to give them soothing words. He was a disturbing man. And he's the first of the writing prophets that does not ease his way into lecturing us, does he? He doesn't ease his way in. He just gives it to us. He bursts upon us like an earthquake. The mention of a literal earthquake in Amos 1.1 is symbolically prophetic of the national problems that befell Israel in 722 BC. Let me tell you, we've got some of the same issues happening right now in Australia, in America, in most Western countries. The same issues are going on. In Amos, the notes that dominate are judgment and righteousness. Judgment is coming. You need righteousness. That's what he's telling us. So let's look at the prophet Amos to start with. The times demanded a man of extraordinary commitment and qualifications. Amos was that man. He had a simple occupation. Simple occupation. He, he wasn't a theologian. Amos was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. He worked in the vineyards. His flock was made up of a small breed of sheep that were short-limbed, but they were known for their good wool, their choice wool. And the sycamore tree produces a fig-like fruit, which was important to the diet of the poor people in the time. Selling his wool and his figs would take Amos to Bethel and to Jerusalem where he could keep up on the happenings of the day. He was amongst it. He knew what was going on. And he had a profound sense of call. He knew who he was. He knew what his calling was. He wasn't confused. And in describing his call, Amos said, in essence, Jehovah took me. He told me and he sent me. I was no prophet. Neither was I a prophet's son. Think about that. God doesn't always call people from a lineage of pastors or a lineage of prophets. Nepotism is not a good thing necessarily. He denied being a member of the professional prophets club who would for a price speak to people words that they wanted to hear. 
Let me tell you, there's a professional profits club. They all say the same stuff. They all charge you in one way or another for their prophecies. False prophets, let me assure you. His father was not a prophet. Thus, Amos had not inherited this office. He identified himself, though, with the true prophets. He had a message from God. <clears throat> and as a result of his commission, Amos said in chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line. <coughs> you shall die in a defiled land, and Israel shall surely be led away in captive from his own land. The source of his message was God. Moreover, there was a powerful simplicity in his words. And haven't we heard this sort of thing before? Do not touch the man of God. That's what they were saying. Do not say things against Israel. In some of the best words in the Old Testament, his message was pointed and it was clear. We have little difficulty in understanding what Amos meant by what he said. Have you ever received a prophecy and you've got to sit down and think about it for a month to figure out what they actually said to you? Amos was clear and he was direct. He had great courage. He wasn't scared of what the people were going to think when he spoke what the Lord told him to say. Amos dared to confront the lion in his den. He dared to confront the king in his royal sanctuary. He wasn't afraid. He would go into wherever he needed to. Wherever God told him, he was there, speaking only what God told him to say. And this was an unheard of thing. Let me tell you, it's still pretty unheard of today. To come into favour with the people, the politician who wants to be popular denounces the opposition and the people and the rulers of another land, don't they? Politicians want to be popular. They give the people what they want to hear. But Amos wasn't a mere politician. He was a spiritual statesman. He was a seer. He took his life in his hands to declare the words of God wherever, whenever, and to whoever God directed. He had a remarkable faith. Amos believed there was a future. In the face of sin within the nation and the impending judgment on the chosen people, Amos did not despair of the purpose of God. He kept going. He foresaw a time when God would build as in the days of old. The future will see the plan, the purpose, and the dream of God, realized not in the nation itself, but in the remnant. And let me tell you, that's a word we hear way too often now. A lot of the people that are calling themselves a remnant church are actually a rebellious church. They're remnant, they think, because they're doing their own thing. But they're actually being rebellious. So be careful when you use the word remnant. Because many of us don't hear remnant, they hear rebellion. God will raise up the tabernacle of David in the kingdom of the future. Let's look at the prophecy of Amos. 
a little bit of a longer message today, but I think it's an important one that we need to be able to understand. In addition to the introduction of verses 1, or sorry, in verses 1, 1 to 2, and the epilogue, which are in verses 9, sorry, chapter 9, verses 11 to 15, the prophecy falls naturally into three parts. Part 1 is introductory. The title and the description and the introduction describe in graphic imagery God's power over all of Palestine. Then Amos surveyed the nations bordering on Israel, didn't he? Damascus, the Philistines, Tyre, Edom, the Amorites, Moab and Judah to show that as none of these will escape retribution for their sins. So Israel, for similar or greater sins, will be subject to the same law of righteous government. <coughs> you will be judged as a Christian. I'm so sick and tired of hearing people say, oh, you can't judge me. Don't judge me. No, I don't need to. God will do it. You will be judged. A terrible military disaster would soon overtake these countries and Israel. Part two of the prophecy consists of three parts, three discourses. Each is introduced by the imperative, hear this word. Read the book of Amos. It's only a few pages. This section of the book expands and enforces what the prophet had said with reference to Israel in verses chapter 2, verse 6 through to 16. The first discourse, which is chapter 3, 1 to 15, there are four distinct lessons. Amos was disillusioned with the people of Israel about their election. This was not, as they supposed, an unconditional guarantee of their security. To the contrary, this made their sins all the more serious in their consequence. Verses 3 to 8, the prophet reasoned that since no event occurs in nature without sufficient cause, the appearance of such a prophet with such a message indicated that God had sent him. He's actually describing his credentials. In verses 9 and 10, Amos, with fine irony, suggested that even the heathen could bear witness that the sins of Samaria deserve God's judgment. Even the heathen could see that God's judgment was deserved. In verses 11 to 15, we see the foe at the door. Only a small remnant of people would escape. Altars and palaces could perish together. Nothing's different today. In the second chapter, the second discourse, sorry, the prophet addressed two groups of people. In first, Amos, sorry, in verses 1 to 3, Amos rebuked the woman of Samaria for their self-indulgences and their cruelty. He predicted their tragic end. In verses 4 and 5, the prophet sarcastically turned to the people at large and he mocked them to continue in their ritual since they trusted in it to save them. Catholic Church, Anglican Church, continue in your ritual, trusting that will save you. It won't. In verses 6 through to 11, Amos expressed surprise that Israel should have neglected to heed the fivefold warning of famine, drought, blasted crops, pestilence and earthquake. In verses 12 and 13, Amos ended this discourse hinting darkly that God would soon resort to some more extreme measures. This was not a prophet that was bringing fluffy words, people. In the third discourse, in chapters 
5.1 through to chapter 6.14, there's three parts again. Each draws out in different terms the moral grounds of Israel's impending ruin and ends with a similar outlook of invasion or exile. In verses 1 to 17, the prophet sang his eulogy over Israel's fall. This is what prophets of old did. They told you what was about to happen. More often than not, these were warnings. In verses 8 to 27, he rebuked those who desired the day of Jehovah, for they continued in their present sins. It would be a day not of deliverance, but of misfortune. Let me encourage you. A lot of people are out there saying, I can't wait till the Lord comes back. That's great, as long as you've got your life right and you're right with him. In chapter 6, 1 to 14, Amos addressed a second rebuke to the leaders of the nation. And part 3 consists of a series of five visions interrupted in verse, sorry, chapter 10, sorry, chapter 7, verses 10 through to 17, by the altercation that took place between Amos and Amaziah. Each vision followed by explanatory comments. Their purpose is to reinforce, by means of effective symbolism, the truth that judgment had already been predicted and could no longer be averted. You know, we can get to a certain point and there's no turning back. The visions are of the devouring locust, the consuming fire, the basket of summer fruit, the smitten sanctuary. And then we have the epilogue, which promises a brighter future. Let's look at the preaching of Amos, where Amos preached how long his ministry continued or just what response he received except for that of Amaziah, we don't really know. We know Amaziah wasn't very happy about it. There was no revival and judgment was not averted. It tells us that the people didn't listen. But several distinct themes appear in his preaching. The eminence of judgment is the first one. Amos's first words in Amos 1-2 were, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. In Amos 3.8 we read, A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? To one accustomed to the ways of the desert, the roar of the lion meant that the animal was, even at that time, leaping upon its prey. In like manner, the prophets saw God coming in judgment from which there could be no turning back. And there's a union of justice and righteousness in daily life, isn't there? It is possible to find one of the keys to Amos preaching in the words of Amos 5.24, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. This union of justice and righteousness in daily life was a burden on his heart. And the sovereignty of God is the next thing that he preached. Amos saw God as personally in control of all the world. I see God as personally in control of all the world. He runs the whole thing. He's not only the God of Israel, but the God of the whole world. God is the Lord of history. He's the Lord of nature. He's the Lord of nations. Amos viewed God as dealing out punishment impartially to all nations according to his standard of righteousness. He will deal out punishment to all believers according to his standards of righteousness. And what's the true meaning of God's election of Israel? 
In popular Israelite theology, God's election was an unconditional guarantee of their security. They, they're the chosen people, right? But in a key passage, verse, ch sorry, chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, the phrase day of Yahweh appears. This expression grew out of the hope that the day of Yahweh was a day of salvation to the people of God. This meant not only the glorification of Israel, but also included the total defeat of Israel's enemies. Amos preached that because of their sins, the day of Yahweh would be a day of darkness that is of destruction and exile. It wasn't what Israel was thinking it was going to be. It was to be the end of the northern kingdom. Privilege imposes responsibility as well. As a specially chosen people, Israel must be doubly accountable to God. As a believer, you are doubly accountable to God. Their prosperity was not a sign of God's favor. Their place of privilege was not an assurance that all was well. The people were not safe in their affluent society. The curse of concern on the part of God's people was huge. In the marketplace, Amos observed the indifference to the crisis of the poor. In the palaces, he could see no thought given to the oppressed. Even in the sanctuaries, the deepest needs of the downtrodden were ignored. Amos's most devastating condemnation was aimed at the callous disregard for the rights and the necessities of others. So what's the basis of true religion? The externals of religion were apparent, but they were divorced from any relationship to moral obligations. We see that today as well, don't we? But there's a message of hope. This is a secondary theme throughout the prophecy. Verse 5-4 says, Seek me and live. Verse 5-14 says, Seek good and not evil that you may live. There's hope here. The possibility of repentance and deliverance still existed. Amos's theology of hope sounds most clearly in verses 9, 11 to 12. It talks about Israel being restored. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who were called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Even though God was able to make an end to the northern kingdom, he would not give up the people that he had chosen. The hope of Amos is fulfilled in Christ in his kingdom. Amos's warnings are as applicable today as they were back when he preached. We need to remember that. Read the book of Amos. His warnings are still relevant today. And let me encourage you, as I do every week, to be diligent with your Bible study time because God is a redeemer. There's so much more that he can do for us if we look at it differently as if to just going to church once or twice a week and hearing someone else talk about the word. When you spend time with God, your life will change in amazing ways because he is a redeemer. There's nothing that's too hard for him. He can make you whole, spirit, soul, and body. And you're important to God. You know that already. Otherwise, you wouldn't be watching this. But you're also important to us at the refinery. So when it comes to prayer, we believe that God wants to meet your needs and reveal his promises directly to you. So whatever you're concerned about and need prayer for, 
we want to be here for you. Even if you just want to say hi, you can contact us on www.refinerylife.org or via any of our social media channels. And we're believing that this year, 2022, is a year of repentance and of blessings. So until next time, stay in the blessings. <music>